0: Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a special Good Friday edition of uh, Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green. I'm a host of uh, the show. And I want to give you a little bit of a heads up on, on the way that I think about services on Good Friday and, and how I approached Good Friday for the last 15 years or so. And that is with an eye towards um, not moving forward to Easter, it's with an eye towards immersing in the moment of Good Friday. And the best way for me personally to prepare for it has continually been to prepare a certain kind of sermon, unlike any sermon I do any other time of the year, and that is sort of a first-person reflection on the events, trying to keep it in real time without jumping forward to what I know comes after. Because it's too often we, we move past Good Friday without thinking about it too much, And without allowing it to to affect us. And I think there's a reason that it should. And that is I think it enhances the incredible joy of Easter. Um, The resurrection came as a complete surprise to everyone. In spite of the fact Jesus had foretold it. It came as a great surprise to everyone. And so what I want to do today is I want to go back about three weeks and I want to pick somebody up and I want to try and do something from his perspective. I had a couple of choices that I was thinking about this year, but what I decided to do was to reflect on it from the perspective of the man in John 9 that we looked at three weeks ago, the man who had been born blind and Jesus on the Sabbath spit, made mud, put it on his eyes, sent him into Jerusalem and had him wash that off. And then he comes back and gives glory to Jesus and becomes the second person to whom Jesus makes a direct statement that he is the Messiah. And so what I was thinking was, is that I want to look at this, the events of Good Friday and um, sort of Monday, Thursday after the, the service, uh, the Passover service that they had as um, a family, Jesus and the disciples, and then sort of. Think about it from this guy's perspective. So that's the setting for what I'm going to do tonight. So, my friends, I don't know how to describe what I've seen in the last less than a day. I'm horrified. I'm stricken beyond belief. I wish that I had never regained my sight. For what I've seen. The cruelty of men towards other men. The cruelty in every single way. Physical cruelty. Emotional cruelty. Mental cruelty. That I've seen inflicted on one man. The man who gave me my sight. The man I know to be a good man. And a great man. A man who's done something no one has ever done before. In giving sight to a man born blind. And only weeks later. I understand that you, Lazarus, were resurrected from the dead. And so, because I had experienced this great thing in my life that that changed everything, that gave me not just sight, but gave me hope, gave me vision, gave me a future. And then, when I heard, when I heard that you had died, and that at his voice, you had come out of that tomb from death to life. I knew that I had to meet you. I had to meet this family. I had to know you. I had to share with you the joy, the incredible faith that we have in this man. And that's the reason I sent and asked if I could stay with you when I came to Jerusalem. I had been drummed out of the synagogue in my home. No longer allowed to be part of the community, a community I'd never been part of as a blind man. Wasn't allowed in the synagogue, wasn't allowed in any of that, but I've also lost my family because my mother and my father knew that I was the one born blind, knew the one who had been healed. But we're afraid. We we're afraid of the religious leaders. Afraid to be drummed out of the synagogue. I had not allowed in the synagogue. I was deformed. I was defective. I was less than, whole. I was not allowed. Lived under a stigma all my life of who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. I was never a part of the community, even though I could beg. That's no way for a man to live. But then this man, Jesus, came. And he gave me sight. He gave me everything. I owed everything to him. I would never have betrayed him. And so when they threatened to take everything from me, threatened to throw me out of the synagogue, a place I'd never been. I said, you have nothing to take from me. I will confess him. I will confess the man called Jesus is the one who made the mud, sent me to the pool of Siloam and told me to wash. And then I received sight. And I thought no greater miracle could ever possibly happen. And then I heard about you. I heard how much he loved this family. And that He came. And He restored life to you. Restored you to your family. I can't imagine greater joy than having lost one that I love so dearly. And having restored to me. And so I wanted to meet you. I had no other community. I had no other people. And so I, I thank you, my friends, that you've accepted me into your home. You've allowed me to come here. But I wish I had never come. I knew how cruel people could be. I knew the things they said about me, about my parents. I knew that they thought that I was a sinner. I, who had done nothing, was born blind, been blind over 40 years. I had no hope. I had nothing except I knew how they felt about me. I knew that people looked askance at me. And so I I looked forward to coming, even though I wasn't part of the community, because so many of these people, these pilgrims had passed me all these years. The people around Jerusalem had seen me, and, and they knew who I was. They knew me as the man who used to beg. And they couldn't believe. So great was the miracle they could not believe, couldn't accept that I was the blind man who used to beg. And so I wanted to see the look on their faces when they saw me and when they heard that it was Jesus. And so what a moment it was as we came into Jerusalem for the festival to see the crowds, to see him heal other blind men on the way to Jerusalem and Jericho when he healed blind Bartimaeus and gave him his sight. And then he came and joined us on the road. And then we came into Jerusalem with shouts and singing and with acclamation and and proclaiming Jesus to be the king, to be the messianic king that we had all waited for. And then as we came into the city, the religious leaders came against us and they, they told Jesus to tell us to stop. To be quiet. It would raise too much problem. For them with Rome. They're satisfied with their place. That Rome has given them. They're not even looking for a messianic king. Unless he comes and overthrows. In a military way. And Jesus came in on a donkey. Not on a horse. I watched. As things began to change. And then I saw Jesus stride into the temple and cleanse the temple of the money changers and the sellers of sacrificial animals. And again, they confronted him. And they asked him by whose authority he did these things. And I knew that this was not going to be the Passover festival and celebration that I thought it was going to be. What began is so hopeful as we came into the city changed so dramatically and not because of the Romans because of our religious leaders and as you know I I left last evening and, and haven't returned until now and I know that you've heard what has happened I know that you have heard about the events of this night and day I was in the garden when Jesus and his disciples came out after their feast. They came into the garden and I saw Jesus with all the disciples and then take three apart with him and he went and prayed. And I could see that he was deeply troubled. I didn't know why. I had no idea. No one told anything. None of the disciples even seemed to know anything. But I wanted to see him. I wanted to see him and I wanted to kiss him and I wanted to tell him how thankful I was to tell him that I loved him that I believed in him and then I waited and then finally he and the three emerged and just as he had rejoined his disciples I saw another that I recognized from that day because remember I had not seen many people until that day so All that I saw, I drank in deeply. And so all the men who were with Jesus made a deep impression on my memory. It's so vivid because they were part of this incredible thing that happened to me, this miracle. And so I remembered this man. And he came not with the disciples, but with soldiers. Soldiers not from Rome. No, they they were temple soldiers. They were sent by the council, the Sanhedrin. And he came with them, and he came to Jesus with these men and kissed him and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And then they descended on Jesus. They arrested him. The disciples fought against these men. One cut off the ear of the high priest servant and Jesus in the midst of this chaotic scene stopped everything and healed that man's ear restored it and I thought surely this will bring an end to this madness but it did not they arrested him I was so confused never would I have expected to see such things But this I saw with my own eyes, with the sight that he had given to me. I see his arrest by the religious leaders. The man I know must be Messiah is arrested and he's taken. And the rest of this night was utter chaos. I went and I was in the courtyard and I was there with the disciples. I heard the man who called Peter Denied that he knew Jesus. When asked by a servant girl, he had nothing to fear from this girl. And all she said, You're you're with him. You're a Galilean too. And he said, No. And then another servant girl said the same and he cursed in a way that men should not talk. And he denied that he had ever known Jesus. And then yet a third time could not believe my eyes even though I had heard him if I had not seen this was that man Peter who was at Jesus right hand that day when I was healed I would never have imagined how with all he had seen how could he possibly stand here now in the courtyard saying that he had never been with Jesus. My heart broke. We heard reports. We saw men come and go. Hours passed. There was no verdict from the council, and then suddenly, someone gave evidence that Jesus had spoken against the temple by saying, if you tear this down three days, I will build it up. And so he was accused speaking against the temple and then accused of blasphemy because he compared himself with God. And we couldn't believe it. We thought, there's no way that this can possibly result in much. It's a religious trial. How much more can happen? What will they do? And they struck him we heard that the high priest himself had one of the officers strike Jesus. And then he was brought out. Those same soldiers, Caiaphas, the high priest, led Jesus out and they took him to Pilate's house. Pilate's the governor of Judea. He's the Roman overseer of this region. There's trouble here. Pilate's always in trouble with Rome because there are insurrections from time to time by my people, some of the Jews. And so Pilate's position here is always somewhat tenuous because... Rome wants peace and my people don't always allow for peace. And so the religious leaders want peace because they get to keep their positions too. It's theirs only as secure as he is. And Pilate and Herod have, who is the governor have problems with one another. And so we need peace in order to maintain our ability to worship as we are, but, but, This night, the leaders take Jesus to Pilate. And he asked, what accusation do you bring against this man? And their response was, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Is that an accusation? I thought an accusation was a definition of what evil he had done. And Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And then I heard the words. It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And I thought, no, no, that cannot be the outcome of this trial. This man has done nothing to deserve death. He has done only to deserve life. He is King Jesus. He is the Messiah. I know I know because of what he's done for me. I know because of what he has done for you, my friend. And Pilate began to question him. He took Jesus into his headquarters. The, the religious leaders couldn't come into those headquarters because they would defile themselves and they would not be able to celebrate the Passover if they entered the house of this Roman governor. And so he questioned Jesus. And I was told that he was, Jesus was asked, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus gave enigmatic answers to those questions. And and Pilate said, I'm not a Jew. Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And John, the disciple, said, Jesus' answer was, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not over. Of this world. And Pilate said, You're a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate's response was, What is truth? You see, Romans, like the Greeks, are constantly in search of truth, but they don't believe it's ever been found that truth is too difficult a concept. The world is too complicated a place for such things as truth. But Jesus, I understand, had already said that same night, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And so when Pilate came from this encounter with Jesus, he could see he did not want to carry out this sentence against him, there was a man there named Barabbas. Barabbas was one of the insurrectionists, actually. And and so it was a custom that on Passover that we, our people, the Jews, could ask for the release of a prisoner who had been condemned to death. And so Pilate assumed that surely the nation would want Jesus. To be the one who was released. This man who had not only done nothing wrong. But had done so much good. But no. He offered. Do you want me to release to you. The king of the Jews. And they cried out. Not this man. Barabbas. The crowd cried for Barabbas. A man who was a robber. A thief. To be released instead of Jesus. And so Pilate had Jesus beaten. We understand the soldiers who did it twisted together a crown of thorns and pressed it into his head, put a purple robe on him, and began to say, Hail, King of the Jews, struck him with their hands. And Pilate brought him out again, and we saw Jesus. Beaten, his face bloody, weary, with a purple robe on and a crown of thorns cutting into his head. Pilate brought him out and showed us to him. It was awful. Pilate said, behold the man. And then the chief priests and their officers, the soldiers, saw him. They began to cry out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. You could see when he heard those words, fear, in Pilate's eyes, lest he make the mistake. And for a moment, I had hope that this would not end the way it was. He took Jesus back inside the headquarters, questioned him more, kept trying to find a way to release Jesus, not to give in to this mob. And finally, Our leaders cried out to him, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Pilate struggled, came to the seat of judgment called the stone pavement. And that evening at three, no, at noon, he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. And I remembered, I remembered our own history. When Samuel, the prophet, the priest, was old, the people knew that he wasn't going to live forever and there was no one there to take his place. And what did our people do? They cried out for a king. we're only to have one king. His name is Yahweh. He is our God. We made a covenant with our king at Mount Sinai. And when we cried out for a king, Yahweh said, I'll give you a king. He'll take advantage of you. He will tax you. He will turn your children into servants. And they said, yes, but we would have a king. They wanted to be like other nations. And now They reject Yahweh as king, and they accept a Roman king, a Caesar, who would himself be God. And I could not believe it. These men, whom I had heard so much about, had completely lost their minds. The only possible way that they could force Pilate to sentence this man to death was to say, if you do this, you're no friend of Caesar's. And that was a title that Pilate has, His friend of Caesar's, an official title. And so they're mocking him. And what they're doing is they were threatening him. They were threatening him with his job. And Pilate was weak, but not as weak as my people, not as weak as the leaders They feared Jesus. They feared him because the people loved him. And Pilate chose to sentence Jesus to death. And we watched as he was again beaten nearly to death. Never would I have imagined anything could look like that. I wished that I had never seen. When I saw him brought out, cross placed on his back, saw the walk out to Gethsemane, saw the climb up the hill out of the city. He who had come in one gate of the city acclaimed as king now in less than a week, stumbling, struggling. Bleeding. Horribly. So much so that he couldn't bear the weight of the cross. He is so weak. I watched as they impressed another man. Into ser- service. I understood his name is Simon from Cyrene. Livia. He carried the cross. For Jesus. And then they came. They stripped him of his clothes. They mocked him. Religious leaders mocked him, the people mocked him, the soldiers mocked him and said, You who've saved others, come down from that cross if you're who you say you are. Jesus bore it all. His mother was there, his disciples were there, Bartimaeus was there. People began to point out others in the crowd whom Jesus had healed women whom he had delivered from bondage of. um, menstrual bleeding for 12 years Jesus set him free. A synagogue ruler from Capernaum whose daughter Jesus had raised from the dead. A centurion's daughter whom he had healed. A man from the country of the Gerasenes who had been a raving maniac. Who had been tormented by So many demons, they had no name. They could only refer to themselves as Legion. There were so many. He, too, was there. People began to tell me of others in the crowd. And you could see. They felt as I did. They felt as deeply as I did about what they were seeing there. The disgust. And the inability to take all this in and believe that this could possibly happen. And we kept praying together. That somehow God would save him and deliver him. Never seemed likely, but I knew everything is possible to him who believes because he had healed me, he had given me sight. And then I saw his chest heave as he pressed up to get one breath. And I breathed that breath with him. We all did. We were gasping for breath. We couldn't get breath ourselves. We, those who he had healed, those who he had delivered, those to whom he had given life and hope, we heard him pray, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And we gasped because not one of us prayed such a thing. We hated them for what they were saying. Spitting on him, cursing him. Hated them. And we heard him pray, Father, forgive them. And we knew not only had he done much for us, that no greater man had ever lived. No stronger man had ever lived. No more beautiful man. And we heard him breathe one more time. He cried out to God. Eli, Lama My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? From Psalm 22. And we cried that cry with him. Why? How could you possibly have forsaken this one? And then he breathed once more and said, It is finished. And with that, he slumped on the cross. It was almost evening. The sun was going down, and because it was Passover, that they needed to get the bodies off the crosses, but they needed them not to be alive. And so the other men there on the other crosses with him, they broke their legs so that they couldn't push up again and gain another breath, and so they died. Jesus, they said, was already dead, but one soldier stabbed a spear into Jesus' side and blood and water flowed out and we all know he was dead. And they took the bodies down. And we left. And we couldn't speak to one another. We couldn't say anything. What what could we possibly say? Everything we had believed is now in tatters. It's torn. What we have is the belief, the knowledge that I have sight because of this man. You live because of this man. We know he was a good man. We know he was a great man because we know what he's done. But he's gone. And with him, my hope is gone. I wish that I had never seen because of what I have seen this day. If it were just my ears. The scene would be less vivid. But now what I have seen. Has caused me to despair. To despair of men. Because if men can treat this man. In this way. Anything. Can happen. There is no hope. There is no goodness in men. goodness is gone. Never again, never again could I say that any day is good because of this Friday. Let us pray. My friends, let us pray for what we have done, what our nation has done this day. Let us pray for his mother and his brothers, sisters, for his disciples, and mostly for us. Because where now can we go this awful, awful Friday? Thank you. You've been listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. Again, I'm your host, John Green. I'll be back with you again in a different way in three days.